Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Your ingredients, your talents, your gifts, your passions, combined with your experiences, your traumas, your pain, your work experiences, all these different things. Bringing these together is what ultimately creates your signature dish, your signature cuisine that sets you apart in a way that nobody else can ever copy. So I think of it as you already have everything within you, as you said, you have your signature within you. And it's your job as your personal chef of your life to draw out those ingredients, to use your experience, to design, to create something that you absolutely love. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with leadership coach Iggy Perillo and Thomas Lantala of The Crisis Compass, then do check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest today, Diana Gramillion, former investment banker and founder of Successful Life Strategies. Through her dynamic workshops and coaching programs, Diana helps top professionals reach peak performance with the best stress management techniques and time-tested systems to confidently achieve extraordinary results. As an experienced speaker, trainer and master coach, Diana is passionate about showing others how to take their success to the next level as they find lasting success and happiness. In our conversation today, Diana talked to me about ways to control our energy, about ways to balance passion and energy when doing what you love, and about embracing your unique attributes and creativity. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Diana Gramillion. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Honolulu in Hawaii, USA, of course, Diana Gremion, who is the founder at Successful Life Strategies. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Diana. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Oh, Jürgen, it's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I think you're the first guest. In fact, I'm pretty sure you're the first guest we've had on from Hawaii. So that's a well. Then I have to give a good old aloha to your listeners. 
<laughs> Excellent. Love it. Now, Rusty Gaylight, who was our guest on episode 411 of the Innova Buzz podcast, suggested that we have a conversation with you, Diana. So a big hello to Rusty. Oh, I love Rusty. Aloha, Rusty. Lots of love to you. <laughs> yeah, aloha, Rusty. So I'll join the fun with the alohas. Now, um, you have a really interesting background and uh, story to share, so I'm really interested in digging into that. But before we start all of that, what is, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Diana? Oh, man. I love to think that my work is in helping people transform times of crisis and trauma and turning those nightmare situations into the results of our dreams. Mm, I love it. I, yeah, I just love it. It's um, it's interesting, unique work, but um, I feel, uh, for better or worse, I feel highly, um, highly experienced in crisis and trauma. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, and and that comes from your own background, right? So um, tell us a little bit about some of those pivots that that you've made in in your own journey and how you've arrived at the business that you do now at Successful Life Strategies? Sure. So probably one of the first major traumas that I experienced as a life event was surviving 9-11 as a high school student. So I was just a senior in high school when the World Trade Center was attacked on 9-11, and I was just two blocks away from the World mm -hmm. Trade Center. So where most people saw it, many kids my age saw it on a TV, I literally saw it out of my classroom window. And I'll, I'll spare the gory details of what that could have looked like. Um, but what I realized in that moment was that as a young girl, as a high school senior, I mean, I was thinking about high school prom and, you know, senior year and senioritis and colleges. And all of a sudden, my whole world was shaken, turned upside down, and everything that I knew and felt I could rely on just a few hours beforehand was up in, up in smoke, up in flames, if you will. And I remember realizing on that day that there were so many places that I was, I was playing small or I was conforming to what other people wanted me to do as opposed to doing what I would really love. For example, you know, I think many, many folks can relate to in high school, you know, just kind of getting into peer pressure or getting into this idea of, oh, okay, you go to college, you do all these different things, et cetera, et cetera. And in those moments, I kind of realized like, wow, like, I don't even know if I'm going to get to those points. And, you know, did I just, did I waste my time? Did I waste my life following somebody else's plan instead of creating my own? And afterwards, seeing the resilience of folks rebuilding, not just not just the infrastructure for our school, but also the city overall, the city of New York, the country as a whole rebuilding was so inspiring to me, seeing how we came from this place of destruction and started to rebuild after that was something that I feel really resonated with me. And even when I worked as an investment banker on Wall Street, I, I was involved in another crisis during the global financial crisis when um, when the housing market bottomed out and, and subprime happened and all of those different things. I happened to be working at the time in debt capital markets in investment banking uh, for Credit Suisse. And I remember thinking at that time, 
that uh, my, I remember it was my, um, my boss who had just gotten laid off and realizing, oh God, I'm next. I know what's coming down the pipeline. I think we've all had that kind of feeling of dread knowing of what's, what's coming in the middle of a crisis. And I started to think and realize like, okay, if, if I'm next on the chopping block, what do I want to do? And originally, because I had a, a degree in business and I built this business career, I thought I was going to continue in business. So I was thinking, you know, maybe maybe I'd get my MBA. Maybe I would work at a hedge fund. Maybe I would work for a different bank in a different area instead of in debt. And as I had these different ideas pop in, I, hear, I heard a voice from my intuition that came in and said, if you go back to school, you're going to culinary school. Now, this on the surface makes no sense, right? Like, how did I go from investment banker to chef? But the thing is that, you know, even though my parents had no experience cooking, I didn't learn how to cook growing up. I remember watching the Food Network, seeing them cook and being like, wow, that seems cool. I think I could do that. And just having fun doing those things. So even after like a 14 or 16 hour day of cooking, I would come home at the end of the day and want to, or not of cooking, 14 to 16 hours of banking and, hmm. you know, like presentations and all that stuff, come home and want to cook. I'd want to turn on the stove and make something, even if it was nine or 10 at night. I just wanted to be in the kitchen. And I was like, wow, it's amazing that after six, six days of working, 14, 16 hour days, that I come home and I still have energy to cook. There's something special about that. So even though it made no sense to go into cooking from the logical perspective and even from the very scary perspective of leaving a six-figure job to make $10 an hour, there was still another part of me, this passion, this energy that I was like, okay, well, you know, this, this is something I want to explore. I want to find out about this. And so what I did was I actually went to culinary school, ended up meeting my husband. He's from New Orleans. We moved out to San Francisco together to cook, uh, worked at all different kinds of restaurants, everything from James Beard award-winning to Michelin starred to um, even a pizzeria. So ran the gamut of in terms of different places to work at because you know as a finance person and any of you finance folks listening, you'll understand the, the concept of diversifying your assets. I was all about that. I wanted to learn all these different restaurants, all these different things. Eventually, it got to a place where San Francisco was feeling a little too small for us, and we were getting ready to think about our next dream. And we were thinking about moving to Hawaii. But we had no family in Hawaii. We had no friends there, nothing, no infrastructure out there, but just a dream that seemed to talk to me and my husband and was very strong. And we decided, well, if we really wanted to follow this dream, let's move back to New York. New York is a great food city. My parents live in New York. We could save on rent by staying with them. We can save up some money so we can get ready for our move to Hawaii. So that was what we did. I worked out in, uh, in New York. My husband worked there as well. We worked for different chefs. And in my time there, um, one of the chefs that I'd spent the most time with was a restaurateur who was opening tons of different restaurants. And so I was in charge at one point of opening nine different restaurants in two different states, all on the same day. Wow. Now, that's something that only a crazy person would say yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I had just come off of two promotions back to back in the period of like six months. I was really accelerating my pace and I was, I was 
feeling the momentum. And so I said, yes, and I did it. But what nobody knew was that during that time, I also started to see my life fall apart. So I started losing my hair on opening day. I was noticing that my whole health was breaking down. It was not just the losing my hair and the balding. It was the bone spurs. It was the back pain. It was the early signs of arthritis, mm -hmm. the breaking out in hives every day. And it wasn't just the health. I was also, as a result of the bone spurs, I couldn't stand on my feet anymore. So I was losing my career as a chef. And with that, I was losing the dream of opening a restaurant with my husband one day. So I was well, in this place of health crisis. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. You know, you're clearly very driven to be successful and to, you know, take on more and more responsibility within this uh, organization that you're working for, and 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 loving it by the sound of it. And yet, at the same time, that drive was causing you know, your body to say enough and giving you some pretty clear signals, some very unpleasant signals that, um, you know, it's time to pull a pin on this, Diana. What are you doing? So what what was the motivation and the drive to kind of push so hard? I think I've just always been very driven and achievement and goal-oriented and I loved what I was doing. I think it was, I think that one of the things that is a very, is a very great nuance, actually, I think that you point out, Jurgen, which is that when we have passion, we do have additional energy that we can bring to it that we find where it becomes easier to keep going even when it's hard. But that one of the things that can happen when we're doing something that we're passionate about, even as business owners, is that sometimes we can we can overextend ourselves. We can stop listening to our bodies and stop paying attention to those signs that we need to rest because we're just high on the achievement and mm. high on the um, that kind of movement. We kind of almost forget that, yeah, we need rest also just because it's, you know, I, I was doing things I loved, helping people cook, all this different stuff. Um, and I didn't realize what a toll it was taking on me. I was willing to sacrifice everything. Um, yeah. So how do you, not a how good do you, mindset. Yeah. How do you find that balance today? So what I do today, um, when I got to that point of being really stressed out, realizing I wanted to follow the dream, one of the things that I noticed was that okay, I wanted to change my whole life. I everything. I I felt so broken. I was ready for everything to change. I didn't want just to leave and move to Hawaii. I wanted to start the business that I'd always talked about starting. I wanted to lose the weight that had always been a struggle. I wanted to break out of my introverted shell. There were all these dreams that I was like, you know what, This I'm not living like this anymore. I wanna follow all these dreams. And I remember telling my husband, Brian, he was on board, we were all about the dream. But at the same time, he also asked me, you know, but Diana, you know, if you do this, what's going to be different? Hmm. We've moved before. We've changed jobs before. And so getting to your point, Jürgen, I realized there had to be something else. It wasn't just about hard work. It wasn't just about drive and passion. There was something that I was missing that was making it harder for me because there were people who were more successful than I was who weren't sick, who weren't struggling like I was. 
And so what I started to do was realize that there were places and things that I was doing to waste more energy, basically, than some other people. Some of the things that really helped me in terms of healing myself and then also transforming my life was working with energy healing and then understanding the law of attraction on a different level so that it was me seeing and realizing it wasn't just about the action I was taking, but about the thoughts, the feelings that I had, me putting systems and processes in place to work on my mindset and work with the law of attraction to attract more of what it is that I want so that while I'm working hard, the universe is also working hard alongside me to bring me and attract the resources, the opportunities, the ideas I need to manifest my dreams. And so once I realized that it wasn't just about the hard work and that I could work with my energy, I was able to become even more efficient, achieve even more than I had when I was just working hard. And now I get to show other people exactly how to do that when they're coming from a place of crisis. Hmm. And and how do you, so how do you go about that? How do you focus your energy on the things that make the biggest difference and and be more efficient, like you said? Yeah. So I want to talk about it, if it's okay with you, Jürgen, in the, sure. in the context of crisis. So when we face crisis, just like the health crisis I face, just like 9-11, just like the global financial crisis, whether it's an internal crisis or an external one, the way that I like to look at it is that you have some ingredients that maybe are not prime. Maybe they look rotten. But I'm a believer that when we have ingredients that look rotten, and this comes from my perspective as a chef, that things that look like they're rotting can actually go through a transformation process in that time. So for example, spoiled milk, spoiling juice, spoiling meat. Spoiled milk can be transformed into cheese. Spoiling juice can be transformed into wine. Spoiling meat can be transformed into charcuterie. It's all using this process that's happening already of decomposition, these natural processes that happen with time, using these same ingredients, but applying skills and technique to really change the ingredients and the results to shape them in a way that we want. And so with that, the way that I teach it is that there are three ways that we can control our energy. We can't control everything that's happening. We can't control, for example, that the ingredients are rotting. We can't control the ingredients that we've been handed necessarily, but we can control these three things, which are our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And when we understand that it's, again, for me, it was a realization that it wasn't just about controlling my action because I was very good at doing, going, achieving. But where I was out of alignment was in my thinking and my feeling. And so I had to start to work with those two energies on a more efficient level to really transform my results. And when we think about that, even in terms of if we were to keep with that analogy of rotting meat, right? So it's about looking at that piece of meat, not just deciding that it's going to turn rotten, but trying to find some way to coax something out of it so that it can turn into something that's even more than the original sum of its parts. And when we're able to do that, we create something that is actually of a higher value than what we could have created if we never went through that rotting process. Hmm. So that's why with crisis specifically, 
I say that when you're going through something that's very painful, many of us having just gone through COVID and this pandemic and the recession, still in it in many ways, I have a belief that we can transform this crisis, this trauma that we're experiencing and turn it into something even richer with more depth and nuance. Because when something seems sour or bitter, what we really need when those are the ingredients that we have, if we can add depth and sweetness and richness, we can actually transform the entire experience and have a dish that has so much more nuance and so much more depth than simply rotting ingredients or simply a sweet life. <laughs> and so I'm a big believer that when we have rotting ingredients, it's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity for transformation. Hmm. Yeah, I love the analogy. It's kind of like the if life gives you lemons, then make lemonade, right? Um, yeah. And and it's, I think it's particularly relevant at this time with COVID to take the approach of what can I control? You know, what can I, how can I control my energy? Which, you know, you point out that it, I can control my thinking, I can control my feeling, I can control my actions. I can't control COVID. I can't, con I can't control the spread of COVID. I can't control the distribution of vaccinations. I can't control who gets vaccinated and not and all this other stuff that people complain about all the time. And, and so they waste their energy complaining about this or complaining we're in lockdown right now because we've had an outbreak. Um, so they complain about the lockdown. I, I go out riding in, in the short, um, area that we're still allowed out to exercise and I see all this graffiti on the road about, you know, uh, hating the politicians and I think, well, what good does that do? Um, and so it's, it's really great advice to say, well, what, what can I do myself? What actions can I take? How can I turn this into a situation? Um, so yeah. So what, what are some of the, um, some of the thoughts or recommendations you have for people that find themselves right now in, impacted by what's going on in the world with COVID? Yeah. Um, so the process that I've taken a lot of folks through during this pandemic to help them turn around, these are folks who've lost their businesses, have lost maybe a stream of income. These are folks who worked in events, in all sorts mm. of different kinds of businesses. And the very first thing that I work on with them first is to honor how they truly feel. So I think it's very important for people to be honest about how they feel so that they can release that energy. Because when we try to bury that, mm. what actually happens is it just comes back later. So the very first thing I have people do when, when they're feeling frustrated or any of that stuff is to release it, to speak it, to, to give it space and honor the feeling. Because as long as we ignore it, we're never going to get anywhere. The next step this is actually a process that I have outlined for folks in my Manifest Your Dreams journal, which is the four-step process that I use every single day to manifest my dreams, to have gone from that nightmare situation with my health and losing my hair and wanting to move to Hawaii and start my business. This is the exact process that I used for that. And the very first step of that journal is gratitude. And when we tune to gratitude, because whatever it is that we focus on, whatever we, we pay attention to mentally, we start to see more and more of. It's like if, if you're going you bought like a new blue shirt from like a fancy designer or something, and then you're like, then all of a sudden you start to see it everywhere. If you buy a new car, 
whatever we pay attention to, we start to see more of in our life. We, we're actually, there's actually a part of our brain called the reticular activating system that, that basically determines what information um, we see consciously versus what information goes to our subconscious or is deemed irrelevant. Um, and it's based on where we put our attention. So the very first tip I give for people after allowing them to release how they feel is to tune to gratitude. Now, gratitude, when you're in crisis, feels very, very hard. I want to honor that. I want to I be honest that that feels hard. But the very important thing that we need to do in that moment is say, okay, not everything is perfect, but there are some good things. Maybe you still have both of your arms. Not everybody has two arms, for example. You know, like I see that in many of those places, it helps to go back to the very basics of things that we have, even basic freedoms, to remember what it is that we have. Because it can seem like what we don't have is so much. But again, if we focus on what we don't have, we're just going to find, our brain is just going to find more information that proves we don't have what we want. So by tuning to the small blessings, the things that we do have present in our life, having our family, our friends, being able to run a business online, being able to shift to virtual, whatever the benefits that you have right now are, being grateful for those. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not the whole picture, but by tuning to the blessings and the good, you start to immediately attract that. Yeah, and it also, it also. I mean, I love, I love the, the whole reticular act activation system um, concept. And if people haven't realised that that it it works so well, and you know, the the car example is the one that I think most people can relate to. You know, you buy a new car, and all of a sudden, there's another one of those new cars. I'd never noticed there are hundreds of those driving around in my local area and yet it's it's simply they were there before you just hadn't noticed them um what what i've found throughout the pandemic is that um doing that that focusing on the gratitude and what are the things that i'm grateful for personally actually brings about some opportunities because then you start to recognize hey it's not only you don't you see those those other cars you actually see them as opportunities so for example I've been doing online work my entire business, and and so now all of a sudden there's people asking me, well, how do how do you run this podcast? How do you interview people from all around the world? Um, how do you run virtual events? Because now all of a sudden I need to learn how to run virtual events because I can't run in person. So all of a sudden there's an opportunity there to help other people change some things in their business. Um, the other example I thought of as you're talking, you know, and, and we were saying COVID and lockdowns, um, a lot of people saying, well, you know, we're locked down. We can't go out anymore. We're stuck in our house. Uh, one of the things that we said here is, well, at least we've got a nice garden so we can go out in our garden because that's part of our lockdown bubble. And all of a sudden, um, we're now growing vegetables. Uh, my wife's got, got this wonderful vegetable garden wow. set up outside. We've got all these fresh vegetables that we weren't doing before simply because we were, um, you know, it wasn't something that we were focused on. We just sort of let our vegetable garden slide. And, and now all of a sudden there's this new passion for vegetables and fresh vegetables. And as a, as a chef, you know, I'm sure you'll know how, how great fresh vegetables are when you start cooking with them. Yes. And Jurgen, what I'm hearing you say as well is that you took a patch of dirt or maybe even a pile of manure mm. 
and you turned it into something of value, right? Yeah. Whether it's the garden or even the situation. But that, and that's a lot of times what we have is like realizing that there are resources that are available to us. And I think that what happens a lot of times when we feel a lack of resources is that we think that we need more re resources. But the truth is that we actually need more resourcefulness. Mm. So, I, and I, if you break down that word, resourcefulness, right? It's about feeling fullness with the resources that we have, with the, re with the resources that are available. So it's about having this fullness, this sense that I have what I need. It's not about getting more resources. We think, we think that it's about having, you know, having everything perfect, having all the things set up for the podcast or, you know, all of our meetings ready or all the money. And it's actually about feeling full, having gratitude for the resources that we have so we can have a different experience with them. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we don't need more resources. We need more resourcefulness. Yeah. And there's a philosophy within NLP, which um, says that, you know, we have everything we need inside of us. So it's, it's kind of the, the actually just the confidence to use it in the right way. And, and that idea of resourcefulness, I think is a fabulous one. Yeah. It's same with the ingredients, right? If we're talking about a rotting piece of meat, hmm. seeing that not as something that's going to turn into an ultimately a rotten piece of meat, but by salting it, by curing it, by putting a specific process, gaining the awareness of that process. Because once, this is the thing that I love about overcoming trauma and building your dreams. Once you've done it once, you can do it again and again and again. You have those resources. You have that resilience and the grit within you and also the tools to overcome crisis when you've done it before. Hmm. You touched earlier on journaling and also on process. So I'll, I'll come back to that because what you've just said there is, okay, now, you know, I've done this. Um, I've made something out of this rotten piece of meat how can i um how can i replicate that success in another area so how do you go about that using say the journaling and the writing down the processes of, of what you do sure so with a journal that i have so right after we tune our mind to gratitude which is the first step the second step is to visualize to just to connect to a vision of what it is that we want so it's even the same thing when we work as a chef with ingredients. So the the garden, the vegetables in your garden, Jurgen, for example, you take those ingredients and you come up with, you decide, I want to make a caprese salad or I want to make a grilled zucchini. Whatever the ingredients are you have, you you choose to make something. But it first starts in your mind. That first idea always comes to your mind. So the very first thing that we want to do is create a coherent vibration of the thought, the vision of what it is that we want to see. And it may sound strange to think about our vision as a vibration and thought as a vibration, but think about it like changing the channel on your TV screen. So when you have a specific thought, right, whether it's, oh, no, this is going to be a disaster or, oh, no, this is going to be my dreams, hmm. you're either tuning to one channel or the other. And the more clear and coherent you can make that picture, the more effectively you are sending out a vibration into the universe. So the trouble is that many of us, because we have that clear and coherent experience of the trauma or the crisis, 
that's the picture that's far more easy for us to connect to. And what happens when that happens is that we just end up in this negative space where I'm sure, Jürgen, in the time that you and your wife have grown this beautiful garden, there are other folks who live maybe in the same area who haven't done that, who've, who are still in this things are not going my way kind mm. of attitude. Mm. But you chose to make something with that. So that, that, that next step is the visualization, deciding that we're going to make something, creating that coherent vibration of the thought of, of our dream. The next step, the third step, this is the step that I probably had the hardest time with and is probably why I was so stressed out. <laughs> and the third step is meditation. Because to work with the law of attraction and to work with energy is an understanding that it's that energy circulates. Energy is consistently moving. So it's not just about the energy that we're sending out through our action, which again, based on my personal experience, I was all about the go, 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 do, do, do. But it's also about allowing for resources and opportunities to come to you. Relaxing and trusting that if you do the work, that that the other pieces will show up. And when I was opening those nine restaurants, for example, I wanted to control every single detail, make everything perfect, wanted everything to be right. And I didn't leave any space for other people, for their ideas, for other people even to support me in the way that I wanted to be supported because it had to be me, 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 all my way done right. <laughs> I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but what it is for me was realizing, okay, it's not just about the energy I send out, I need, I do need to take steps to move towards my dream, but I also need to allow there to be space for my dream to show up for me because I don't know everything that's available in the universe. And I'm designing this dream with my current awareness and there can be other people, other things. I didn't go to culinary school thinking I was going to meet my husband. I went there and found a blessing. Hmm. And so when we allow for the universe to bring blessings to us and for us to relax with meditation to realize that we are we can actually receive resources. The way that I have the two steps specifically in the journal is to visualize and then to ask ourselves in meditation, what's a step I can take right now to move in the direction of my dreams? And from that question spurs the fourth step, which is action, because we need to be taking action to build the dream. Now, many of us, we get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, we get caught up in the operation, we get caught up in doing what we regularly do. And oftentimes we don't spend as much time or invest as much action into actually moving our dreams forward. So this fourth step of action is dream specific. What are the action steps we can take to move, move the needle forward mm. so we can be building our dreams and then taking those steps or scheduling them based on the time and the resources that we have in the moment? Yeah, yeah, I love that you added that action step there because I think that's really important. You know, you're talking about um, allowing, being open to the opportunities that the universe sends your way, and um, you know that it sounds a little bit like the the philosophy behind the secret. And I think what a lot of people forget about that book, The Secret, is that you actually have to take action. You actually have to do something. <laughs> it's not going to happen by yeah. itself, which is which is yeah. an interpretation of the secret that I often come across. Um yeah, I I struggle with meditation. I, I'm the sort of person that, you know, going on a holiday to me, the worst possible thing for me on a holiday is sitting by the pool in a lounge chair 
and and just lying there now if i have a good book to read yes i can do it um because i need to stimulate my mind um but i'm much more likely to want to go out and do something um physical activity like bike riding i mean most of my listeners know that i'm a keen passionate bike rider i'm also a keen photographer i find that those activities if i go and do those on my own that's my quiet space. That's kind of my meditation. And often I go out on a solo bike ride and I've done a lot of that due to this pandemic and lockdown where, you know, you haven't been allowed to go out with uh, the groups and the buddies that I normally ride with. Um, and I find there that often if I'm, I've got something on my mind and I'm visualizing something that ideas will come to me, that, that, um, those uh, thoughts will come to me and all of a sudden there'll be other things that, um, come up and I immediately, as soon as I get home, I kind of write everything down and make sure that I reflect on that and then take action appropriately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are definitely all sorts of forms and levels of meditation. I agree with you when, I mean, you can probably guess from my past, I was definitely go, 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 <laughs> do, do, do. I'm a huge biker as well. I love to bike. I used to bike um, all over New York City to all these different restaurants I, <laughs> I um, helped with too. So um, definitely love the biking. And I think it is it is about different levels where it's like wherever you are with meditation, not making it, I think so many people think that it needs to be like hours of meditation mm. and like to like really get the benefit. The journal that I have, this four-step process, I I coach my clients and I coach folks who use it to only use it for 15 minutes, one, five minutes, that's it, mm. 15 minutes. And that's it. Because I think that sometimes as go getters, which many of my clients are, we have this tendency to think, oh, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. That's how you get to the point where you open nine restaurants <laughs> in a single day, right? It's like insanity. Um, so I, I purposely block it off and say no more than 15 minutes so that it becomes something that feels manageable and doable always. So the meditation portion that I have in my journal, I say five minutes of meditation. This is basically you just thinking about your dreams coming true and just sitting in that, asking that question of what step can I take to move forward in the direction of my dreams right now? And then allowing answers to come to you. The way that I do put meditation that I think um, brings a little bit of nuance to it is thinking of manifestation or the law of attraction like a conversation. You got to do some of the work hmm. and allow for the other pieces to be attracted to you because it's kind of like if you're dating, right? If, if you want to date somebody and you're just like, hey, want to go on a date? You're good. You want to go on a date with me? How about tomorrow? How about the next day? How about this, right? When you're putting out all the energy, you actually can repel the thing that you want. So there needs to be a little bit of space that you leave. And this is where I, again, I got tripped up all the time. I was all about, no, I gotta, I gotta take care of everything. I've gotta be the one who takes care of everything and does everything instead of realizing, no, I can leave a little bit of space for the universe to meet me, match me and bring me what I want. And in the, in that case of if we're talking about it with a date, it's kind of like asking, Hey, Jurgen, you want to go out for coffee sometime? And just pausing, not saying like, we could go here. We could go there. We could go here. That kind of energy actually is repellent when we're constantly doing. We need to give space for the universe to respond to us and to to give us what we want. Hmm. Yeah, and I think the the idea of space is is a challenge for a lot of people. That's kind of 
um, in some ways it reflects a conversation as well because in a conversation there's you know the, there's nothing more repelling than people that um, don't give that space don't listen and don't allow you know a moment of silence is quite fine in a conversation and yet some people seem to think that if everybody goes quiet in a conversation they've got to fill that void they've got to start speaking again yeah and i definitely understand that um being someone who has struggled with being um introverted and socially anxious a lot of times when i first started working on speaking and um conversing with more people because it was so much more comfortable for me in the back of the house in the kitchen where nobody talked to me <laughs> um, was that I would do this nervous thing where I would talk too much and I realized that I was it was just making me feel more anxious and I wasn't allowing space for the other person to respond to me and so now I really work on having those conversations giving space for the other person because the conversation is so much richer when I'm not the only person putting something in the pot Hmm. All right. Well, this is fascinating, Diana. We, we could go on talking for ages, <laughs> but I think um, <laughs> just uh, checking the time, and I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round, and it's designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I have five questions. Hopefully, you'll inspire some meaningful action towards our listeners' vision today. So what, what's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I would say that the number one thing that we need to do to be more innovative is stay curious. Mm. So when we, when we are in a situation, I find that often innovation comes from a place where we see restriction or a lack of resource. And so when, when or when we notice a problem. So in that moment, staying curious and staying creative so we can find, build a solution, design something, visualize what it is that we'd really love helps us versus just saying, oh no, this is what happened. It's going to go this way. When we, when we map out the, the doomsday scenario, we're, we're leading ourselves down that way. So I'd, I invite people to stay curious. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. And visualizing solutions. So asking, you know, why is that like that? And, and, how could it be different? How could it be the way I want it to be? Love it. What's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Not thinking that I have all the answers. <laughs> That's hard. That was a that was a mistake I felt I made very early on in my life. Um, was thinking that I could find all the answers by myself. Since then, realizing how much farther and faster I can go with support, high quality support, being selective about where I get advice and, and feedback has helped take me further faster than I ever knew possible. Hmm. I love it. So connecting with other people, having those meaningful conversations and allowing that space for them to contribute their ideas as well. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? My creativity. <laughs> it's my favorite resource. Yeah. The resource that I never lose unless I put myself in that negative mindset. Remembering that I'm a co-creator with the universe, that I get to decide what happens. And I, it's not simply determined by 
um, my circumstances, but that I get to control those three ingredients, my thoughts, feelings, and actions, mm. my creativity, for sure. How do you, how do you keep that uh, creativity muscle trim and um, trained? Um, by creating without judgment. So creating and allowing for mistakes, I think, is, is highly important. Sometimes when we create, and especially when we're in a place, you know, even as a chef, um, sometimes you can create dishes, they like knock it out of the park, they're amazing dishes, like everybody loves them. But if we're not giving ourselves a little bit of that, um, that space for creating something really extraordinary, I think we can get kind of caught up and end up making, you know, something that's not really what we want. Mm. Yeah, and I, lo I love the cooking analogy there in particular because I do um, a little bit. Um, my wife's the primary cook, but I bake bread, for example, and um, I love to experiment with that because I have the confidence now to just play around and uh, I think I'll throw this in and see what happens. And sometimes yeah. we end up with something and we say, well, that didn't really work out. I mean, still edible, but... That didn't really work out, and it, it's it's interesting. The mind, my mindset there is kind of like, well, I'll try something different next time, and and I'm almost driven then to, I want to bake another loaf, I want to try it different because I've learned something from that. And yet, in in life, in business, <laughs> I often don't do that. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think that I love using cooking analogies and I love using nature analogies because I think they really do point to these basic principles that we do know and sometimes we forget about. Mm. But yeah, like when you, when you just let it go, like I made a mistake. I, I think even um, Thomas Edison, for example, when he was designing a system of illumination and, and developed the light bulb, when talking about it, he says, I didn't have 10,000 failures. I found 10,000 ways it didn't work. Mm. But is anyone counting the 10,000 or is everybody benefiting from oh. the system that he yeah. created? You know, it's like we count, we ourselves count our failure so much more. And I think the willingness to fail, the willingness to make a mistake, knowing that as long as we learned, it was a lesson. Mm. It's not a loss. Yeah. But there's, again, it's the resourcefulness, right? It's, it's even in a failure, being able to see a resource, a lesson, uh, something good that we can take whether it's a loaf of banana bread or it's our business. Mm. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, what's the best way to keep a client on track? The best way to keep a client on track is to light the fire inside them. <laughs> so that they like so that they have this like internal combustion engine that just runs itself and showing them how to get back in touch with their fire. So when we're, again, when we're in that place of crisis, burnout, trauma, whatever that looks like for us, um, it's as if our light is dimmed. And I love to stoke that fire. I love to remind people about what they love, help them come back to life, and stay connected to that source. Because when our energy comes from within, no one can take it away. Mm. And that's that's the real beauty of it. Mm, yeah, I love it. So to really stoke that drive. Yeah. All right. And finally, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? The number one thing that we can do to differentiate ourselves 
Oh, I love this question. Yay. I'm going to use another cooking example. <laughs> so think about it. Think about it like all the different cuisines that developed in the world. So at the time that many of these different cuisines developed, they were simply using the ingredients that were in front of them. And they developed with these ingredients, with their history. So if we looked at Vietnam, for example, their Southeast Asian history, plus their French history, mm. shapes their cuisine in a way that makes it distinctive from everybody else around them. And the same is true of us as human beings. Your ingredients, your talents, your gifts, your passions, combined with your experiences, your traumas, your pain, your work experiences, all these different things. Bringing these together is what ultimately creates your signature dish, mm. your signature cuisine that sets you apart in a way that nobody else can ever copy. So I think of it as you already have everything within you, as you said, Jurgen. You have your signature within you. And it's your job as your personal chef of your life to draw out those ingredients, to use your experience, to design, to create something that you absolutely love. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. And, and it's such a great analogy. And, and I think, you know, the Vietnamese kitchen is a good one to compare. I, I guess you talked about uh, living in New Orleans earlier. I think that New Orleans cooking is one that brings together all these different influences too. And there's probably heaps of other examples that I'm not that familiar with, but they're just two that come to mind that um, are very unique in their, in yeah. with the same ingredients that other people have. And yet, you know, it's, a, yeah. it's very unique. Yeah. So a great analogy. <laughs> well, I love that you mentioned New Orleans. That's where my husband is from. Hence my, um, my, my, my last name is like popular in that region. Mm. Um, and like with that, so w as you mentioned, Vietnamese food in New Orleans, the first time I introduced my husband to a banh mi, which is the, the Vietnamese sandwich, I was like, oh, you've never had this before. You've got to try it. It's so cool. He has it. He's like, oh, this is a Vietnamese po' boy, <laughs> <laughs> which po' boys are like the New Orleans like sandwich. Mm. So like they had a completely different way of seeing it because of the Vietnamese culture as well that infiltrated New Orleans. Mm. So they have a Vietnamese food culture that's very, very distinctive as well um, that actually even transformed and migrated over to Texas with Hurricane Katrina. So Viet Cajun food <laughs> developed as a result of crisis yeah. um, and, and like in a completely different area. So again, proof that our history, our ingredients uh, really transformative and completely signature. That's fabulous. So well, that's the first time we've um, we've gone down the path of uh, cooking and different cuisines in in the buzz round. So thanks for doing that. And I think <laughs> it's it's a wonderful metaphor for being unique and taking you know your all the things that are inside you already, as you said, and and turning them into your unique advantage. So this has been absolutely fabulous, Diana. Now, where can people find out more about you, maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today? Absolutely. I am super active on Instagram. My name is diana.gremion, so D-I-A-N-A dot G as in George, R as in E, uh, Robert, E as in Edward Million, M-I-L-L-I-O-N. I was never planning to change my last name, but when I saw Millions in my <laughs> husband's last name, I was like, I'll take that. 
Um, so that's my Instagram. And then my website is another great place to reach out to me. It's just dianagremion.com, D-I-A-N-A-G-R-E-million.com. Wonderful. Yeah. I hadn't uh, thought about your last name in that light. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Um, now, do you have some parting advice for our listener today? Yeah. Whatever situation you're in, whatever ingredients you have, you have what it takes to transform it. And maybe what you need is a little more skill, a little openness. But I believe that whatever you're facing in this moment, that you are here, you're listening to this for a reason. And you're here to transcend and transform that experience. Take it from a nightmare and transform it into a dream. Mm. Love it, yeah. And I wrote down earlier, tra turning traumas into triumphs. Um, I'm not sure that you said that. that, but I thought that occurred to me. So, love it. Yeah, All right, it. finally, Diana, who else should I get on this show and why? Oh, I have two business coaches I would love to introduce you to. One, her name is Sharon Gutierrez. She's a marketing coach with an amazing, amazing life story about growing up in Alaska and uh, being, being a, you know, starting her own business, doing all these different things. She has an amazing story. And then also Arliss Dudley Cash. Arliss also has an amazing life story. She's a business coach. She and I actually do a podcast called the Body Positivity Podcast together, where we talk about um, some of our, our health challenges and the transformation that we experience to get to a place of greater self-love. So I highly recommend both of them. I can't wait to introduce you to them, Jurgen. You're going to love them. Wonderful. I look forward to that. So we'll get that introduction to Sharon and Alice from you and reach out to them as well. Well, thanks so much, awesome. Diana. This has been absolutely fabulous. I've really enjoyed it. I've loved all the different cooking analogies and, and metaphors, and I think they really highlight the key message there that we have all the ingredients we can put them together in our own unique way and we can make magic out of what we have. So thanks thanks for that and all the best for the future and let's stay in touch. Well, I hope you enjoyed that insightful and really engaging conversation with Diana and took something away from her episode. I love the comment, we don't need more resources, we need more resourcefulness. That was my big takeaway from this episode. Now, I'd love to know what you took away from Diana's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Diana Gramillion. That is D-I-A-N-A-G-R-E-M-I-L-L-I-O-N. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Diana Gramillion. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Diana, as well as links to the Successful Life Strategies website, her social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Now, if you liked this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with at least two other people that it might help. Tag me in on that share and... I'll reach out to you with a special surprise. Diana suggested that we have a conversation with marketing coach and author of The Manifest List, Sharon Gutierrez, and with Arliss Dudley-Cash of Solutions by Arliss on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Sharon and Arliss, 
Keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Diana Gramillion. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including trust-based sales expert Ari Gelper and Ashley Nichols, author of Tech to Save the World. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.